This is the Machination Log for June 20th, 2016, recorded June 10th. I'm your host, David Paddock. Across me in cyberspace is Thomas. Ah, uh, yeah. Hello. It's Thomas Hightower. Again, or Thomas, leave out that last part. Please. Thank you. Nah, it's fine. All right. It'll all be good. Thomas, what are we here to discuss? Oh, uh, we're here to discuss DMing. Um, cause I don't think we got like enough of it in uh, our, our last episode really. Uh, and Nick is going to be really upset to not be part of this conversation, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like, I, I'm afraid that, uh, one of the reasons why I might want to, I, I might've been so insistent on this podcast is, uh, it's uh, sort of an exercise in vanity. Um, uh, just for the simple fact that like, I actually like tried really hard to make a game unlike other games that I've played, and it failed spectacularly. And uh, I don't know how much I learned from it, necessarily. I was, was kind of hoping on us uh, sussing that out together uh, in terms of uh, what one can do in a uh, storytelling uh, capacity. Well, this is good, because I've been out of practice for a long time, so hopefully, uh, hopefully with two... Uh jaded mofos on the phone at the same time we can uh get to the heart of whatever the hell conundrum you've put yourself in at great personal expense both uh in the form of arrogance and shame so Ugh. the uh the, the twins i like to call them actually yeah um well okay so uh i tried to basically like set up a game that relied on uh sort of a a sort of poetic reasoning uh, and uh, handling of prophecy uh, and connecting strings that were like sort of slightly there. And I also wanted to create a story that like involved uh, a, a sort of element of the sublime. Uh, that is a mystery that was sort of larger than life and larger than what the setting had. Uh, and it didn't work out because the players just didn't have enough to go on. Uh, in a lot of cases. And, like, I think on some level there, like, got to be a point of, like, sort of, like, learned helplessness. Um, it was pretty hard to figure out what kind of bone to throw them, though. Because, ultimately, like, what was going on in the city was pretty basic. Um, or it was also very complicated, but kind of a matter of fallout rather than tied to I was mystery. Gonna- I was going to say, it'd be pretty hard for you to be the judge of whether it's basic or complicated, yeah, since it's fair. your story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, they wound up uh, going through the entire campaign without ever putting together the pieces, uh, even though one player got really, really, really close. Um, uh, and I wanted to talk about like the sort of frustrations involved in like trying to tell a mystery that no one's quite getting, <laughs> and also like how that might actually just not be a good thing for DMing. Probably not. No. Why did you feel the need to turn this into an interactive experience? Uh, I was tapped to run a campaign, uh, and I thought it would be... I wanted to, like, sort of, like, uh, see whether or not, like, this kind of thing would wind up working out uh, in a uh, campaign. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, is that, like... Like, this, like, kind of, like, cloak and dagger, where, like, people, like, wind up playing right into the villain's hands. Like, we've done that before. Uh, but in terms of, like, sort of, like, piecing together, like, a mystery from, like, dreams and prophecies and, like, these, like, sort of, like, half, uh, d- these, like, sort of, like, half-uncovered letters, um, that we'd never have done. Uh, and that's what I was aiming to do. Yeah, it just, it... 
it sounds like something that you would have created for a much more insular bit of fiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it was an attempt to sort of, like, push the boundaries. Uh, and I'm not, like, entirely sure if it's at all possible. Because, like, the thing is, is that, like, I screwed up, like, a whole bunch of this, like, along the way. Um, and I don't know if somebody, I don't know if it could be done, like, I don't know if doing it better would make it any more feasible, uh, is my question, sort of. And we would need to draw a larger net to do that. My vote is, yeah. my vote on this is actually pretty pessimistic. I don't know that, uh, I don't know that that contributes to these sort of collaborative experiences because they leave, yeah. they leave the players out too much. Mm. It's too hard to bring them in when you're trying to get all the things to fit together and not get them to fit together in a just so kind of collaborative way, the way they normally would. It's just, I don't know that that balance can be struck unless the players are very much willing to be completely subservient to what you're doing, at which point you might as well just write a book. Yeah. It feels like it feels like it fails to collaborate with the people around the table at some point. Yeah, I mean like I like definitely like uh I definitely like had like segments that like only happened because like uh somebody expressed an interest in something, right? Um so like there are like certain like parts of it that were like kind of like tailored to a particular character's interest, but like in fact like those like sort of like uh those like sort of like uh, digressions wound up like actually really hurting the pacing for the other two players. I can um, imagine. Yeah, like it. Uh, I'm like, I I tried to make it. I tried to make it interesting, but like it was actually like in some cases like really hard to fit in. One of the cases actually was really great because like I got like a solid bit of narrative out of it uh, that sort of like gave them like another perspective on like what the story was about. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess like there is like kind of like a, a sense of like directorship and like I was really trying to avoid that. Uh, like I was really trying to like sort of like make sure that it was like a, a fairly open world um, uh, where like they could basically do whatever it was that they wanted. Um, but like it did wind up at some point being, well, I don't know what the right move is to make. So I'm going to go with the most obvious one, which is probably why they wound up cure, killing the uh, killing the Marauder uh, in the first place. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I asked them about it, and they were like, "I don't know. It just seems like the right thing to do because we didn't want the city to burn down." Naturally. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so like this kind of fiction, I I've, I've read it. It's fantastic when it works. You know, when you, like, notice, like, oh, you know, here's a mention of lions and, like, you know, like, uh, like earlier on someone mentioned something about Singapore. Singapore is the city of lions, so this means something. Um, like, that kind of thing. Uh, it's been really gratifying to consume, and I just, like, tried to, like, deliver, like, that same thing to a uh, role-playing game. And it turns out that people actually, like, probably need a little bit more of a concrete grasp of what's going on. Or at least some way to meaningfully contribute to it if they're not going to be able to... I mean, they can at least dwell on it. They've got that going for them, but that's something that uh, normal... 
I'm trying to compare this to a video game RPG because, like, the concepts in a game like Shadow of Alm absolutely reach at least that deep. I mean, the dwelling, by the time it wraps up, they completely fail to deliver on that. But in the meantime, um, the questions a game like Shadows of Alm asks about the nature of power and divine right are they're very, very well structured and interesting, interesting questions. Interestingly enough, also delivered in a dream sequence. Yeah, uh, I realize why people do that now. Um, it is a really like easy way to uh, basically like have like a thesis statement paraded out in front of you. Yeah, no, absolutely, with no meaningful option to interrupt it for player agency, unfortunately. But uh, that's its own can of worms. That and Baldur's Gate. Being what it for those who aren't familiar, I, I'm gonna say Baldur's Gate and Shadows of Om interchangeably. They're the same game. Um, kind of. I mean, yes, one's a franchise and one's a specific game, but I'm always going to be referring to Shadows of Om because it's the good one. Um, <laughs> it's you get to read a lot of Shadows of Om. It's yeah. it's half book, half game, so it gets to strike that balance naturally. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure if you could do that with a role-playing game i mean like it's possible like okay so like here's my thinking on it though right if you had what was essentially like a mud right uh which is a multi-user dungeon um which i've never actually played uh no i take it back I, i i fooled around with one of them for like a little bit right but if you like actually had like a sort of like long form thing that was conducted over the internet right uh where you would like log on and you know, you would, like, send, like, the storyteller, like, you know, like, an action or something like that. And then, like, you know, you could play it out, like, let's say, over the course of, like, maybe, like, four or five hours on, like, a particular day. Do you think that would change it? Like, is it, like, a matter of, like, the people being in the same room? I mean, that grants an urgency that is hard to overcome. I think you would just have to build in an appreciation for... The, I mean, I guess that's sort of Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and all the D&D settings. They have a book yep. that is just full of shit that you're supposed to read before you get started if you want to know exactly what's going on. I mean, I guess to some degree, is that what we're talking about? Is just a more knowing fleshing out or distinction between <laughs> the lore of a setting and the actions the players take? Mm. I mean, you may potentially just want to as you sounds like you did with the dream sequences it's possible that you uh you would just make it more obvious that this is going to be half reading half playing but i also don't know how many Groups i don't know be- how many troops would be willing to put up with that <laughs> unless you happen to be a top-notch writer yeah i mean again like some of the some of the stuff i wrote i wrote for this game is like some of like the best stuff that i've ever written according to a bunch of people um Sure, but it's still homework. Yeah, but it's still homework, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, like, I don't, like, I do not think that that, I do not think that that's necessarily, like, I think if, even if you were to say that this is going to be half reading, half playing, most troops would not be into it, and I'm almost certain that my troop wouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, and, like, I hadn't really, like, known just, like, how far it would spiral out of control. Uh, but, like, what, but, like, the thing is, is, like, you know, like, like later on in the campaign, right, when I was, like, when, I, like, I had, like, everything, I had everything blocked out, but, like, you know, like, there was still, 
parts that I wanted to sort of write depending on how the campaign was going. Um, the fact that my players didn't know what was going on and that I couldn't tell them wound up making it so that I had to write more and more as the game went on. Like, where, like, I had to, like, get, like, increasingly, like, hand-holdy because if I didn't put anything in, they wouldn't know what to do. And, like, we actually, like, had, like, a couple moments where, like, you know, like, I'd be like, so what do you do? And they're like, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm going to go get breakfast. I'm like, okay, cool. You go get breakfast. Uh, the waitress's name is D. Uh, and this is, like, the conversation that you're having with them. Um, one of the best scenes I played, actually. Uh, according to one player. Of course. Um, <laughs> of course. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, I think one of the reasons why I wound up becoming more and more reedy was just because, like, the players had, like, less and less to go on. And I wonder what exactly the tonic is for that. Um, because, like... A simpler motivation. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, probably. Um... Yeah, I, I just, like, you know, it's, like, one of those things where, like, you know, like, uh, somebody, uh, it's, like, when somebody, like, gets, like, reflected by, like, an evil mirror in, like, some sort of show, and, like, the person has a palette swap, uh, and they're exactly opposite in all of the really superficial ways, this person likes chocolate, this person hates chocolate, this person likes her friends, this person wants to kill her friends, um, like, there is a sort of, like, patness to that uh, that I really don't like. And it's one of the things that, like, I see, like, with, like, a lot of, like, games and, like, a lot of, like, sort of, like, TV shows and whatnot, where, like, they come up to this thing where they have to simplify things down to a point where it can, like, be so that it can, like, read on the screen, right? Whereas, like, you know, with, like, an evil, like, mirror reflection of someone, like, you know, you would actually get, like, something much more, like sort of, like, deep and complicated if you were trying to, like, model that character a little bit more accurately. Um, that sounds like a lot of work for an interactive experience to get that right, though. Yeah. Well, I... This is the most wor work I've done, like, on, like, uh, a thing like this, like, basically ever. Um, is that why you felt the need to uh, discuss it for Lessons Learned? Because yeah. I can totally, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I had a campaign that I was running not terribly long ago that I put a lot of effort into. Yeah. And then when it got going, I realized that that was not, that was not worthwhile. And I deliberately spent less time on it because by restricting my preparedness, I made sure that I was not building things that we were not going to need. Yeah. Which was most of what I was doing, was preparing things in the background, which, though it may have made a couple of conversations a little more pointed for some for, from some factual perspective, were not actually contributing meaningfully to the enjoyment of the experience. Not that I'm saying I found a panacea for it. I got bored before I got good. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm certainly, I am, I am no great DM myself. I know that for a fact, but just been doing this for entirely too long to be as not caught up on everything as I should be. I mean, you were pretty good when we were in middle school, from what I remember. Why, thank you. I don't know how well that translates to when people actually have a, a developed sense of 
personality and stories, but that's... I, uh, I imagine it probably doesn't translate that terribly well. It was Probably no. It was mostly just gimmicks, from what I remember, but they were good gimmicks, and I yeah, laughed exactly. a lot. Yeah, exactly. Gimmicks um, are what it's all about. But yeah, no, so that's a... Yeah, this is this has been basically like my like greatest uh most recent artistic failure. Uh and uh I, I felt like I needed to talk about it. I don't think I talked about it in like the the best way. Uh I don't think I'd like necessarily like, even got to like the root of like what the problem was. Uh so yeah, uh when you're when you're making campaigns, uh give the players something more actionable. Um don't expect them to like actually like sit and think for terribly long about uh what you're putting down because most people won't do it and they shouldn't have to do it write your novel on the side yeah basically (laughs) (laughs) it's supposed to be a collaborative experience if if the players are just living in your world and not actually interacting with it and changing it there's really no reason for them to be there i mean that's the that's the universe of computer games at best um yeah, yeah, and I, I really, a lot of stories don't work in. A lot of stories aren't fit for tabletop gaming, and it is important to try to recognize them. A lot of it has to do with a level of intricacy, and a level of high mindedness in the design, which is just impossible by consensus to make sure that everybody understands and can even relate to because their characters, they have characters, and they want them to matter. Yeah, and they can't matter to complex designs. Um, and that's, that's no good. That's not what we're here for. Which is a shame, actually, because, like, I really enjoy, like, that in fiction. Like, it's basically, like, my favorite thing in fiction, uh, is, like, having small characters that are, like, involved in, like, the lore, uh, and, like, sort of, like, sussing that out. Um. Sure, but the problem is that those are not, (laughs) you are, you are all those small characters. You're not one of those small characters in the book. That's fair. So, uh, but yeah, they can't all be sunless sea. Yeah, or Planescape Torment, which actually like does kind of like raise an interesting question. When Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment came out, like they were banking off of franchises that could not replicate their results with the main product. I've never actually thought about like how strange that is. That is a little weird consider right because like you like nobody is going to play a game like planescape torment uh where you're basically just reading a book uh and you also have stats um that actually does give me a really good idea that i'm sure someone has tried before um i don't know how many of my friends have played Baldur's gate 2 but i may have a really easy campaign to set up for them I thought you swore off DMing. I did, but that's, you know, that's like every crime heist ever. One last job and one last I'll job. be done for good. I've been out of the game, but uh, I'll suit back up for the one last job. No, I've been saying that on all sorts of stuff. I've threatened to do a Legend of Zelda campaign for a long time, um, which I still think would be fine. I've got a lot of ideas. That's why I constantly get pulled back into the orbit of these games. I just, you know, most of them suck and then they crash and burn and... I mean, there's a reason I got out in the first place. Yeah. It's just I forget it on a regular basis. But do you think that that's like a product of a... Do you think that's a product of like you... Being bad at this? Yes. 
Really? Just like plain old that? Like you don't think that it's a, that on some level it's a limit to the medium? Oh, there's definitely some limitations to the medium, but I haven't run into them. I'm I'm the problem most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, well, I, I I imagine I could have at the very least made this set. I mean, like, everybody walked away from the game, like, feeling like it wasn't a waste of time. Uh, well, yeah, no, it's not. I Everybody thanks me for hosting these games. It's just I feel like shit because they could have been better. Yeah, no, and, like, that, that is, like, that is, like, how I feel. Uh, like, like, I... I basically, like, took something that would have been, like, really, really good, and, like, I somehow, like, just fucked up in a way that uh, made it incomprehensible to people. <laughs> Alternately, I, I was thinking, oh, nobody understands this, because uh, nobody has a special brain like me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nope. That's uh, not... <laughs> nope. This is, this is to quote, I want to say, Neil deGrasse Tyson, as within the case, as in the case of driving... If you rear air in someone, it's the end of the discussion. It's your fault. Yep. If you're writing and someone else is reading and they don't understand, that's your fault. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no. Yep. So this is uh this this was entirely my fuck up and I'm actually like just not planning on DMing anytime soon. Excellent. Because this conversation has me stoked to try it again now. <laughs> so it's had the exact opposite effect on me. It Partly is- because the idea of just running a Baldur's Gate 2 campaign has this great nostalgia that only I'm going to feel. David, no, we just, like, had, like, this really long conversation about playing a game and telling a story based off of something that only you enjoy. Yeah, exactly. And the conclusion was that it's terrible. Thomas, I don't want to learn anything from this experience. All right, well... Just like D&D. Start back over from level one, or I guess it's like level nine in Baldur's Gate Two. But can I play Minsk? Sure. All right. You want to play Minsk? Okay. Shit! Even the characters already exist. Yeah. This is an amazing idea. This, this is, is totally happening. This is such a stupid idea. <gasps> I don't like. I I've I've literally like got on this podcast to like say to people, hey, like this thing that I did, like had a lot of promise and it was very seductive and I fell in love with it and it was terrible. Don't do it. And you, the fucking host, like (laughs) the person who is like entertaining me is like, nah, but like I could do it. No, no, no. I don't think I'm going to succeed. I'm just super drawn in by this. I'm basically, I'm, I'm reliving act one of this fallacy. Jesus Christ. All right, well, like, I don't... I'm not responsible for this. No, 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 it's absolutely fine. Okay. I'm not going to blame you for it. At the beginning of every session, I do want you to, like, mention to everyone, by the way, Thomas isn't responsible for this. Thomas is not at fault for this. You're in yes. here with me. I'm the one doing this to you. Yep, that's correct. All right, now roll perception, Emmowen. Yep. All right, so I think that's a, that's a, that's a note to leave it on. That sounds fine to me. God damn, I am very disappointed with like how like this entire thing went. Uh, <laughs> uh, why? What was wrong with it? I I don't know. I, I'm still like not like getting like a strong sense of closure. I guess I don't need it. Uh, I've just That's good. I've just. I don't think you're gonna get it. Oh, uh, promising. I mean, what? It's 
you failed to tell a story. This is what makes writing a bitch in the first place. Yeah. It's the reason why everybody's a writer their whole life and no one's an author. Because you you want to write the right words and you fail, but the words are still inside, so you still have to keep writing. Yep. And then on and on and on it goes. And occasionally you take a hiatus, uh, but you come back because maybe you'll get lucky this time. It's basic writing is basically uh, gambling. That's really bleak. I get you. So is writing. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> Not for everyone, actually. Some people like. Like, some people have, like, literally talked about how much they enjoy writing and that it's, like, actually not a huge burden for them. Oh, I mean, for what it's worth, I enjoy writing. I just, most of the time. I guess I haven't enjoyed it terribly much recently, but that's because the subject matter I'm working with is not easy to write about, but that's on me, so. Mm. But, yeah, so, like, over the, like, course of, like, uh, of like uh, working on this campaign, and, like, you know, I was, like, uh, between jobs for, like, a good chunk of the writing of it, uh, I just like realized like how like angry at myself like making stuff makes me, um, and like how like frustrating and like powerless you feel like while you're making something, um, because like I I don't know about you, but like I always feel as though like the stuff that I'm putting down like exists independently of me. I like I know that that's like not like really true but like that's how it feels. So basically like every time I make a mistake, uh it feels as though uh I am letting a good idea down. Um like sort of unavoidably. But like, you know, like when I actually like put something down that like is like really 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 solid, uh like I I feel like I've done basically the best thing in the world. Um but like that feeling like lasts for like, you know, a paragraph or two. Uh, and like it is it does feel like you know like I did something good in the sense that I like gave adequate service to this idea that's very important um, so yeah like the this whole process of like making like the game uh, like wound up being really brutal and I wound up like getting really frustrated with uh, the players because like I guess on some level it just meant a lot more to me uh, than it did to them uh, and it's not even necessarily that, like, you know, like, I, I, I thought they were, like, terrible peasants who, like, didn't, like, understand anything. Um, I, I just, it made me feel really lonely, like, the entire process. Um, because, like, I had this thing in my head, and, like, it had to come out, and I wanted to show it to them, you know? And, like, I really wanted to, like, sort of, like, show, like, all of the work I put into, like, having a story that did not reveal itself right away. And a couple of the players, like, actually said, no, that was actually a really nice thing about the story, was that nobody told us what was going on. You know, we had to figure it out for ourselves. Uh, and that was a really refreshing experience. Um, but, like, I still really, really feel like I failed. <laughs> Like, and, like, the thing is, is, like, the stuff that, like, made the story, like, more user-friendly, like, felt like an even bigger failure. Right, like, like laying, like having it conveniently like laid out for them uh, that oh, the devils are trying to steal souls because stole or uh, buy souls because souls are volition and will and change, and that souls are basically the thing that allows for any entity to have anything resembling agency. 
like laying that out, even if I lay it out poetically, it still feels kind of like a like a shortcoming because I really wanted them to have the feeling of sussing that out themselves. Like that's what I wanted for them. Like more than like anything else was like the feeling of like sort of like peeling back like these like sort of like layers of like of like static and uncertainty and finding these threads that linked one event to the other uh that linked one uh document to another document cuz that is like basically the best feeling in the world that I have when it comes to fiction uh and it was just really crushing to like not be able to deliver that to them um because the like idea that I had was so interesting and compelling to me uh that like I really wanted them to like have the experience of like not making it up but discovering it and they didn't really get that uh and I felt like I kind of cheated them on that that actually seems a lot more important to the uh, coherency of this podcast than like anything else. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a uh, that. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, but yeah, so like that's that's really the thing that gets me is like I do legitimately feel like every idea that I have uh, is kind of a gift to me. Um, at least, like, the really good ones. Uh, and I, I don't think it's, like, terribly arrogant to say that, like, I want to share this awesome idea with other people, because it's not mine. It could occur to anyone else. Um, but I'm the one who gets to share it. Uh, and messing that up feels like basically the worst thing in the world. Um, at least in terms of like the realm of ideas. Because uh, it feels like I failed a responsibility. It's not just that I made something bad. Uh, it's that like I failed in my duty. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much that has to do with gaming, um, necessarily, but like, frankly, this entire campaign didn't actually have a lot to do with gaming. Uh, which again was like the kind of conceit, right? Was like giving something, giving them something that they hadn't had before. But uh, as it turns out, like that's that's really hard to do, uh, and like the sort of rope wasn't there, I guess. So, I guess I guess the the, the closure is that there there is no closure. Uh, the debt must be paid, and the debt cannot be paid. Good loop around. Yep. And with that, Thomas, thank you for being part of the Machination Log. I fucking hate everything. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How was that? I mean, for what it's worth, we could very easily, um, <clears throat> we could very easily at this point, now that you've sort of collected your thoughts on where it's going, we could probably scrap the first 20 minutes of this and you could get to the heart of it. Cool. Uh, that may actually be easier because trying to follow the thread of where we're going with this in the first 20 when you were just setting everything up yeah. is going to be hard uh, because it's your mystery. Oh, yeah. No, I am I am thoroughly uh, regretting scheduling this podcast for that reason, actually. 
Um, I had no idea how this was going to go. Um, no, well, no, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to readdress, if you want to redress and attempt, because the middle, the middle of this conversation was fine. I think the uh, it's just it was slow getting started because we weren't sure where we wanted to wanted to get it to move. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. I'll see if I can. I'll see if the magic of editing. Ugh. The, uh, the the twins, I like to call them, actually. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So uh, I guess I guess I should get uh, started uh, describing what exactly like the what exactly I was trying to do with the story. Um, yes, you should. Right. So uh, you know, I, I I've played like a number of games where there's like a plot, um, and there are hooks and there are twists. Um, and, like, you know, it's all very real politiki, where, like, you know, you're, like, uh, running errands for people and trying to shore up one person's influence over another person's. And, like, you know, there are, like, some big set pieces every now and then when you, like, come up against, like, you know, like, the big bad or something like that. Uh, but, like, I wanted to, like, actually, like, run a game uh, where, uh, like, prophecy was sort of a big factor and, like, uh, and, like try to, like, uh, actually, like have a sort of sense of the uh, sublime or the unknown, right? A, a sort of a Lovecraftian bent to it. where Something you can buy into that you don't fully understand. Yeah, uh, and like a, a game where you actually had to think really, really hard about the symbols that you were coming across uh, to sort of deduce uh, what was going on. Um, and so it was a it was a Mage the Ascension campaign. Which uh, should we give like a quick thing on Mage the Ascension? Fifteen seconds if you've got one. Cool. Uh, so Mage the Ascension uh, magic is real, but uh, you have to be awakened to use it. And magic is just bending reality, kind of. Uh, and the more you realize that reality is a lie, the more you're able to bend it. Um, however, you get punished for this uh, with paradox because consensus reality sort of like hits you back. Uh, so mages have to be very covert and clever and careful. Um, the mages that you play normally are like actual uh, magic users, um, and uh, the general villains of the story are other mages who don't realize they're mages, called the technocracy. And their goal is basically to keep reality running as it is. Um, particularly for this campaign, there are two like other like kind of like quasi factions uh, involved. Uh, which are um, marauders who have basically like slipped so far into a, what they call quiet, which is madness brought about by paradox, uh, that like reality kind of like glides off of them like a like water on a duck. Uh, and the other are the nefandi, who basically uh, the mage's goal is ascension, that is uh, waking up everyone to true reality. And uh, at least in the setting, the nefandi's goal is uh, descension, that is uh, the destruction of truth. Period. They're basically like superpowered militant nihilists um, who believe that like the end is a really good thing and the lack of meaning is a really good thing, uh, not in a liberating capacity, but rather in a sort of uh, psychopathic capacity. Um, Sounds so, stable. Yeah. So, well, like, so the idea is that the Nafandi are very subtle and very careful because, like, they're everyone's enemy because they're terrifying and the worst. Um, so, uh, the sort of, like, conceit of the, uh, game was that, uh, they were kind of shipped back into Chicago after all of the mages had been kind of kicked out. 
you know, people started dying, and eventually the mages, like, kind of agreed, oh, we should get out of here then. Um, without really knowing, like, why it was that everyone was forced out. Uh, so they get back into town, uh, and already, like, I'm trying to sort of, like, lay down, like, hints about what's going on. Um, uh, they get into a, uh, conversation with, uh, uh, a guy on the train who talks about how he, like, dreams of, like, pyramids and so on and so forth, and that, you know, he's there, uh, uh, like, some sort of convention, uh, and he stayed for, like, a couple more days, and he's not sure why, uh, and, uh, he says he's actually really scared about what's going on. Is he an Illuminati um, secret agent? Uh, he's a dupe, um... I meant sleeper agent, I'm sorry. Yeah, kinda. Uh, I mean, like, he's, uh, it, that, that actually is exactly what happens, and, like, nobody quite picked up on it. Oh, okay, because um, that's, you said pyramid, and a guy was confused and was at a mysterious congregation, yeah. so... Well, no, no, it was just a convention. Like, it was just, like, a normal convention. I can't remember what the convention I had him go to was. I think There's was, no like, such ex- thing as a normal convention in a game like this. Fair enough. But it was, it was an extraterrestrial convention, I think. Um, uh, which, no, in a game like this, like, generally, like, the extraterrestrial, like, conventions and so on and so forth are full of bullshit because sleepers don't know what magic really is. Um, and, like, that was the case with him. Um, though, uh... It was like kind of like my like uh, ploy to like sort of like have like a a, a, a a twist or a surprise at the end, which was which was uh, asking themselves the question: Wait, why did we talk to that guy on the train? Because like literally the first thing that happens is that they're in a conversation with him. Um, uh, that didn't really come up uh, ever. Um, Excellent. So they're going about town, uh, like. Uh, and, like, on, like, the first night, like, they see people, like, uh, uh, carrying a coffin into the, um, into the train station that they just, uh, went to. Uh, one of them sneaks over to, like, see what's going on. Uh, they're putting it on the train tracks, and, uh, the coffin disappears, and the people are crying. Um, the Which reason why they're crying? Uh, the people who are carrying the coffin in. Okay. So it, it, it looked like a, uh they deduced that it was like something, some sort of sacrifice or something. Right. Um, uh, so one of the things that they have to do, uh, in order to get access to this, uh, node, uh, which is basically a font of magical power. Um, uh, and the reason why they're like in town in the first place is because they're offered this node in exchange for going in and finding out what's going on. Um, in order to get, in order to, uh, uh, get possession of this node, uh, they have to pay a, uh, water bill. Uh, they have to go down to a place called Morningstar Financial, which shows up in basically all of our campaigns in Chicago, because it's a real place. Um, uh, yeah, despite it's, like, Lucifer and Bent, which, like, nobody points out, uh, except everybody points out when they're playing games. Um, uh, so they have to go down there and they have to basically pay it, uh, and then they get ownership of it. Um, so they go down to, uh, Lucifer, uh, Lucifer and financial, they go down to Morningstar financial, uh, and they pay it, uh, and there are hints of like devil influence, uh, and devils are a little like mysterious in this setting. Uh, they basically just want souls for some reason. Um, do you secretly know the reason, or is it actually... Oh, no, I, I, I know the reason. Okay. Uh, I, know, I know the entirety of the reason. It's actually a fairly important plot point. Okay. Um, uh, so 
they go uh, to uh, pay the water bill, and they pay the water bill. Um, and then as they, like, leave, uh, now being, like, proper possessors of the Chantry, uh, or node, um, they notice that the there's ash falling from the sky. And they look around, and there's no fires, there's no sound of fire trucks, there's just ash, and the people on the street are just walking about like normal, like they don't notice. And the lady who talked to them at Morningstar Financial, like, notices, and she looks, and she says, oh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and then she, like, quickly, like, uh, like, takes out her purse and pulls out, like, the $15 that she has on her, and, uh, like, shoves it to somebody and says, here, take this. The reason for this is because uh, debt has some kind of intrinsic power uh, in this setting. Um, not in Mage of the Ascension proper, but like it's part of like the thing that I was trying to do. Mm. Um, so the story goes on. There's kind How of like... How did you indicate that debt had that power? Uh, they made some occult rules as to why it would be that she would want them to uh, be carrying around $15. Um, how was that explained? Oh, uh, I explained that, like, well, you know, like, there's a, there is some precedent for debt having some sort of, like, occult power in a place like Morningstar Financial that consults with devils. Uh, it makes some sort of sense that there would be, like, a sort of, like, intrinsic quality to it in the same way that you had to pay off a water bill to become a possessor of this chantry and for it to start working for you. Um, I guess I'm just curious how how that part of the lore gets fleshed out. Did they did someone explain that to them? Did you just say that directly? What was the method of delivery? Oh, I believe I said it directly okay. um, because they they got a really good uh, roll on their occult uh, thing, um, <laughs> uh, which we wound up having to break up occult at some point because like occult actually like does like too much in Mage the Ascension. Um, so, uh, is we it broke the it down intuition and... of Mage the Ascension? Yeah, it super is. Well, here's the thing, is that, like, according to the book, it's not, because according to the book, occult just means, like, knowing stuff about what sleepers believe. The problem uh, is that all of the other books treat occult like it's knowledge about the occult. Uh, so, like, the game still, like, kind of has, like, this conceit that... Uh, that it keeps forgetting about uh, on that front. Um, it's not a it's not a well put together game. Um, it's it, it is just fussy as all hell. Um, but so so they rolled really well, and uh, that makes sense. And like it also like kind of they wanted to like know how much they knew about devils. Uh, and basically, what I told them after a number of successive rolls. Um, uh, was that uh, uh, devils take a lot of different shapes, uh, but the only thing that seems consistent uh, across uh, the board is that they are interested in making deals with mortals, not just for souls, but with for anything. Souls seem to be like their prime interest, uh, but they are acquirers of debt. So it makes sense that they would be working with a financial firm, or a financial firm would be working with them, rather. Um, so 
that was kind of like the first like sort of attempt to like introduce them to like the idea of what's going on. Uh, they get a whiff of uh, there being a Nefondus at work in the Seer's Tower, uh, and they start noticing that like the city's actually a lot quieter that they uh, than they remember, and everyone seems a lot more scared. Uh, and as they go about their investigation, they notice that somebody is doing something in the Sears Tower that is sort of tearing apart the social bonds uh, of the city uh, and making, sort of trying to take away what makes the city a city. And in the meantime, uh, they also have noted, they also notice, and I'm generalizing because like this was a really long time ago and like it's a pretty long story. Um, they also notice that somebody is trying to uh, create some sort of like big magical thing in uh, the Uptown Theater, uh, which has been abandoned for I think sixty years now, probably not that long. But it's it's a, it's a big grand old theater that's been empty for like at least like a handful of decades, right? In like real uh, life? Yeah, in real life. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, uh, it's. Uh, uh, I, I've seen pictures of the interior, and uh, apparently you can like get tours there. Um, it's currently under renovations and they keep putting up like little banners saying, you know, now and also forever or something like that. Um, I mean, it has to be haunted then I would assume. Yeah. Well, so, so one of the things is that they keep bumping into coincidences that are a little too convenient. Uh, they bump into a traveling kid who also bumped into the guy that they, uh, bumped into on the train, uh, and the kid basically just goes from town to town, like looking for, uh, looking for magical objects so that uh, he can pawn them off, uh, essentially. Uh, and he winds up coming across like two promising locations. Uh, they break into one of the places, and uh, there's like a really complicated like locking mechanism, and that was part of like the thing for that game was figuring out how to work the lock. Um, while also not being detected, which they failed at, and then one of the players killed an innocent bystander um, who basically just wanted to report them to the cops for breaking and entering. Um, uh, but basically, so, like, they, they break in, and there's, like, a bunch of, like, headlines and stuff as this person's trying to put together, like, what's been going on. Uh, and there's talk of, like, people freaking out and talking about how small we are, and there's also a bunch of, like, uh, people stealing stuff to make fires with, right? Like, so, like, Menards got uh, rolled over and, like, all of the oil cans are missing. Um, stuff like that. Um, and the technocracy has also left. They saw something very, very far away in the sky, and some of the people working there got obsessed with it. But it's so far away that they can't really reach it, and no other technocracy installation anywhere else in the world can see it. Um, How do the players learn about that? Um, the players go through a process of uh, grabbing the uh, server that um, the uh, uh, that the person whose apartment they broke into. Uh, uh, they wind up going through a process of like sort of like getting somebody to like crack into it and then like divulge like the stuff. And so there's like a really like sort of like long like. Uh, log of uh, information um and this was established in such a way as to make it seem actually important rather than lore yeah well because like like they they 
they kind of got bit pretty on by like a, a a bug in terms of like figuring out what's going on. Um, at least uh, two of them did. One of them, like actually, as it turns out, doesn't like mysteries all that much. Um, like in real tra- life, or the character. Like no, like in real life, uh, which I didn't know at the time, and like we were like already like on the course, and like I asked him, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, I don't care much for mysteries." Um, so that was fun. Uh, so he immediately became the antagonist. <laughs> no, no, the person who kept killing people uh, became the antagonist because it was supposed to be a modern setting where you don't just kill people willy nilly, and ah. everybody else was on board except for her. Well, um, you know. So, uh, so when they break into the guy's apartment, like it's clear that he's left, uh, that he's bailed more recently, like in like the past couple weeks, and like he even like has like a thing scrawled on the wall saying, you know, figure this out, I'm done. Um, so the technocracy like winds up. Uh, the technocracy is uh, has uh, fled. Uh, there's a, but they do know now that there is a big. A uh, spirit living in the Uptown Theater that has been trying to break out. Uh, it's been bound in some way, and it's trying to break out. Um, fortunately enough, the traveling kid bumps into a, another uh, uh, character, uh, a uh, uh, sort of like a digital librarian. Uh, he winds up getting caught trying to break into her place. Um, uh, and she says, okay, well, look, it looks like you guys are trying to figure out what's going on as well, so let's arrange a meeting, and I can tell you what I know. Um, so she uh, gives them a way to get into the Uptown Theater. So she like knows like a, a passphrase or something like that um, uh, that, lets them, uh, that lets them get in. Uh, and at this point, they've kind of figured out, oh, like somebody is trying to free the great Chicago fire because I've been like over like the week I've been sending them headlines, uh, uh, about, uh, that they've like come across and like a lot of it kind of like points to the Chicago fire and like, they didn't quite figure that out like, uh, necessarily, but they're also getting dreams and the dreams that they're getting are according to some people, like some of the best prose that I've written. Um, They have dreams about a city, uh, and the dreams about the city are basically such that certain things break down and seem eternal. I've actually got, like, uh, uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this is the second dream that I, uh, sent to somebody. Um, oh, this you, is did, around- you did this in between games? Yeah, yeah, I sent them emails. Okay. Um, uh, you dreamt of the tower again. You're trying to scale it, but it was so impossibly high that it couldn't be said whether you were making progress. Was the city below one you recognized? The buildings were too far off to be distinguished. There was no light above in this place, only a flickering below that seemed to take on those same vaguely Anakian shapes you remember from your first dream. Uh, in her first dream, she... Inakian is the language of the spirits. Uh, like a couple of the characters, like uh, like speak it and like actually like kind of like made it like one of their things. This is like Inakian, but far older. It's like coming across like Harappan script. Um, uh, you could not say how or why you were climbing this tower, but you knew you must. 
At times you laid still, feeling a great judgment's shadow, only to begin again when it passed on. When you, awoke in, when you awoke, the city was the same, ash still falling from the sky, but letters in that strange old language floated in your mind, now comprehensible, though unspeakable. A debt must be paid. And that's in caps. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're getting these dreams of a city uh, that seems eternal and also immeasurable. Uh, and they get dreams of a debt. And, you know, as they're going about the city, like, doing, like, other things, like, they're bumping into uh, one person who's convinced that his skin has been repossessed um, and that he's asking for money to buy it back. And when they ask him, like, well, who repossessed your skin? He's like, I don't know, but it's got, it, this isn't my skin. Um, a bunch of other, like, sort of, like, horror shows about, like, uh, uh, about people, like, either owing something or punishing people for owing something. Uh, at some point, like, some guy, like, singles them out specifically and calls them delinquents and starts firing at them. Um, so there is, like, this, like, sense of, like, a law and debt and a city sort of, like, weighing in on the world now. Um, when they break into the Uptown Theater, uh, they find a marauder who's basically trying to break free, or who's basically trying to free the uh, Chicago Fire. Uh, she's the one behind the cultists making sacrifices in the train stations. Um, and, like, the reason why, like, a couple buildings have burnt down. Uh, she's got a congregation. Um, and when they break in, they're uh, up on the catwalk. Um, and uh, they hear her ranting about how um, uh, the law is uh, trying to... Let's see if I actually got it here. She thinks that she's in a different city, a further city, an endless city. She is breaking the pact that she has agreed to, and fire is her ally. She did not know how much she would owe. She has been lied to, and those who have lied to her will pay, will pay, will pay, will pay. For fire asks nothing but takes what it needs, and all things shall take what they need when the laws are burned from the world. And all that is left is the need uh, which cannot be quenched. I thought for a time that I was speaking to the spirits, she says with with a half-smile. But when they took my sight and cured me of this delusion, now I see that I am destined to become one of them, a grand and nameless hungers that have sworn themselves against the law. So she's ranting about a law that's like coming down and that she's not going to be oppressed by it and that she will not pay back this debt. Uh, And they kill her. They don't even talk to her. They don't stay and listen. They like just like open fire on her. Drop her in a single round because I didn't build her properly. Um, uh, and then afterwards, uh, like once like the panic has subsided and they're done hiding, you know they, they they climb down and like they go through like the Umbra and like they find like the uh, the uh, spirit of the Chicago fire. Uh, and it turns out that the reason why it's asked her to break it out is because it sees something worse uh, for the city uh, in the Sears Tower uh, and. It's actually a little confused about its position because it's become like this sort of like city emblem. Like our soccer team is literally called the Chicago Fire, right? It's remembered almost fondly at this point. It's got a star so, on the flag. Yeah, so it's it's trying to stay relevant, essentially. Yeah. Uh, like it, it 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 feels like it's adored, and it feels that there's like this big problem, and like it doesn't know what it should do. So it thinks, oh, I'll just save the city by burning down the Sears Tower, and that'll fix everything. I'll just do that. Um, and at this point, like, you know, I, 
at this point, they're trying to figure out why exactly it was that like all of this is going on because it actually seems like the the marauder that they killed was like potentially an ally, uh, and they felt really dumb for it. Um, uh, and they start like making like rules, trying to figure out what's going on, and one of them like ducks out of like the theater to call uh, the librarian, uh, like to tell her what exactly is going on. Uh, and, you know, like, they make enough, like, successive roles, uh, for me to ask them, wait, so, it's, isn't it a little odd that the traveling kid got caught by this librarian? Or, I, I said it was, it was actually something, like, a bit more, like, subtle than that, but, look, he bumped into the same guy that you bumped into when you are coming into town. That's strange. Um... And this is the other person that you've bumped into. Uh, and that's when it dawns on them. Uh, oh, we've been had. That was the Nefondus. Uh, and so, you know, like, like they're like, oh, crap. Well, we need to destroy all of our cell phones and, like, stop communication with her, at, like, entirely. Because she's, you know, an expert hacker and so on and so forth. Right. The conceits of a game like this. <laughs> um but they still don't have any clue about what's going on. Um, uh, and What do you mean by no clue? What are they supposed to be trying to put together at this point? What the law is and what the city is. And, like, they're kind of working on it, sort of, but, like, they've, like, they keep, like, sort of, like, uh, like uh, missing it, sometimes by, like, a wide margin, sometimes by, like, not a margin at all. Um... Like, they've had, like, dreams of, like, the city and this being, like, a, a, a thing that is coming for them. Uh, and they haven't, like, actually, like, looked at what this could mean for Chicago, specifically. Does that make sense? What is the heart of this mystery? Okay, so the heart of the mystery is this. Um, and I've like, and like at points, like I actually like put it almost explicitly. Um, so it, it comes to light that, uh, it comes to light that uh, the Nefondus is working for the city, uh, that the city is ageless, um, and that they specifically, as mages, uh, are held as more guilty. Um, as, uh, as breakers of this oath. Um, Which oath? The oath that they broke. The, the, they're the main owers of this debt. Okay. Um, and, like, this is, this is mentioned, like, a couple times. Uh, and it's actually even, like, suggested that this is somehow related to devils wanting to take souls. Um, They wind up going into the. They wind up breaking into the Nefondus's office. Uh, they come across like some of her like uh, diary entries or uh, her letters to like other people, um, and uh, a hint that this has actually happened twice before, um, and that the place that they are going to, which is no longer an office, uh, it's more of just like this like labyrinth that looks like an office. Um, uh, that this is actually like in a space beyond space. Uh, it, not even like in like the mage sense where you know you can like co-locate uh, two different places so that they're the same place. Like this is literally beyond like space. Period. 
they're not in the spirit world. They're not in the astral plane. They're not anywhere that anyone has been before. It is rather like this like weird uh, sort of almost conceptual space. What's the relevance space. of that mechanistically? Uh, the relevance of that mechanistically is that uh, correspondence magic doesn't work anymore um, and that it's very easy to get lost. Uh, so they wind up having to like sort of like rig up like this like process of like using landmarks and holding hands uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, while one person is basically using uh, entropy to get lucky and find the right path. Um, it also means that like when they look out the windows, they're like actually like looking out on different places. Uh, at one point, like they look up and like they see lights in crimson, scarlet, and violet, uh, three colors that are showing up constantly when they have dreams of the city. Um, so they're kind of in the city, but they're also kind of not in the city. In fact, any in fact, at one point, somebody like goes into a room and a projector turns on. Uh, and suddenly they're in a place that is both an alleyway and a pavilion and a drawing room. Um, uh, and uh, all of the all of the things are like sort of hued in uh, violet, uh, uh, scarlet, and emerald. Um, and they bump into a devil. Well, it looks like an actual devil. Like he's he's got like the bowler hat and everything, and he actually offers to by their soul. And the way that he pitches it to them is we're working on making a new world, a better world. Uh, if you give me your soul, you can live on as order and growth and light and change, which is probably one of the better pitches for selling your soul that you're going to get. Um, so devils are stealing souls. Um, uh, Mages, in particular, somehow uh, broke some sort of agreement uh, with the city. The city is also, like, clearly older than any of them can reckon. And in one of the Nefandi's notes, she, like, literally says that when you think about the city, you cannot consider it in the uh, democratic or constitutional framework of time. It has always been, it will always be, uh the debt has to be paid and the debt will never be paid. Uh, the exact like specifics of this breach uh, are irrelevant. The fact of the matter is that somebody has to pay and it's us. Um, what was the mood of this? Um, what was the mood of this discovery process? The mood was, uh, the mood was kind of like this, like sense of like uh, claustrophobia. Um, you know the the characters were like actually like very on edge throughout this entire process. There's a sense of don't trust anyone, um, but also oh look here's another scrap um, uh, uh, of information. Uh, and like the way the, like the sort of like reveal process was basically like them rifling through somebody's things and uh, in, in the way that you might investigate the scene of a murder. Uh, or a uh, empty house that you've come across in a place where there shouldn't be a house that's like clearly like not been lived in. Um, I'm so like I'm having a hard time reading that in any way that doesn't end up being slightly tongue in cheek. The no- what do you mean? the notion of Chicago being around forever, the notion of a debt that can't be paid, 
in some infinite sense. I mean, it'd be one thing if there was an actual book behind this, but mm. as a theme or setting for a campaign of this kind, and I assume this to some degree is what we're talking about in the first place is how this does and does not work in the context of Dungeons and Dragons or any other game, yeah, is yeah. that that... That feels like it has to be played off at least a little bit lightheartedly um, because you can't properly dwell on it without running into um, – without it feeling like – and maybe this is just my own experience of it, but feeling like you are trying too hard to make what you're saying sound important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always the thing that makes it very hard for authors to take praise of their own work um, with any degree of guile is that they – it's supposed to speak for itself. And the problem is that you have to tell the story. Yep. Um, so that mystique, that version of fictional mystique can't really be present. Um, at least not, at least not to my mind. Maybe it's different for your group of friends that you play with. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, a. it sounds like it might be because if the vibe was actually one of claustrophobia and intrigue of that kind, uh, maybe that is actually a group composition thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, one of the players, like, actually kept, like, very copious notes and, like, was, like, making, like, webs, uh, like, trying to explain, like, how, like, these different things are related. Um, so, like, there was a, like, like there was some sense of uh, trying to figure out what's going on. Um and like at some point or another, like I like I I kind of tip my hand like a couple times talking about how oh well the city isn't actually Chicago. Uh, one person tells them that they are returning to the place uh, that they once stole. Uh, that uh, uh, that uh, I think they described it as uh, burglars returning to the place that they robbed um, uh, when they started heading into the labyrinth. Um, so, like, there were, like, sort of hints that there was a city that they were dreaming of that was not the city that they were living in. Um, and I think it kind of stuck with them, sort of, but, like, I towards the end, they definitely got really frustrated with it. Because, <laughs> um, like, I, it, it's... And, like, interestingly enough, like, one of the players is now, like, trying to run a mage campaign of his own, and he's bumping into, like, the same problems. The way that he puts it is it's impossible to or it's so hard to, like, separate the loaf from the breadcrumbs, right? I don't want to give you guys too much, um, but it's really hard to, like, give you, like, enough to sort of, like, start deducing things. And that was kind of the same problem that I bumped into, was that, like, you know, people were, like, kind of interested, and, like, all of the pieces at some point were there, like, before the big reveal. Um, Like, all of the pieces were strongly, like, were, like, strongly hinted at and a lot of times outright stated, um, they just needed to be put in the right order. Um, regarding the acolyte train sacrifice. Yeah. Describe all the points of pertinent symbolism in what they were doing. Hmm. I don't know if I can do that at this point. Because there seemed to be a lot of false flags in that example. Hmm. Uh... Yeah, there there actually are. Uh, I think I wrote I think I wrote that part like uh, before. Like I was entirely sure what was going on, and then like I kind of tied it into the like story with the Marauder, which was originally supposed to be the main plot when I was like first like drafting this out. 
before like the campaign had started. Um, and then like it kind of dawned on me that I could do something more with it. Um, yeah, it's just in that particular example, even even just a cursory explanation of it brings up so many ideas that it's yeah. hard to tell exactly what you're supposed to get out of it. I mean, it, yep. it to some degree, it's just an application of Chekhov's gun at some point where you need to... Where any, you need to make sure that every single one of those guns that you set up goes off. Yeah, that they're yep. there for a reason. And there's just, there's so much to pull from a visual, like a bunch of people carrying a coffin to a train track and then it disappearing. I There's... There's a lot to work with there. Yeah. Uh, yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. I no. I I botched this really hard. Um, I, it's gratifying to see uh, to see the uh, player who's like now running his own mage campaign, like going through the same process. Um, like every basically every session that I that I played through, uh, I felt like I had been working out. Like uh, like at the end of it, I felt physically exhausted uh and i've seen him go through the exact same thing um uh which is pretty gratifying but (laughs) but yeah no so so like there was like some interest in trying to figure it out um but like i also think that like one of the problems was that like they the 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 question of agency in in the story uh like the idea of okay well does this solve the problem does this solve the problem does this solve the problem uh and uh you know the answer is no, like, but it's a hint. Um, and one of them actually like figured it out, uh, but nobody listened to him. Uh, like, yeah, no, like he like he literally said, "Oh, what if this is a debt that our souls owe? That the reason why we can do magic uh, has something to do with this debt." Uh, and like spoilers, like that's actually like what that's actually what it is. Is that the city is the law. And it has existed uh, before time, and it will exist after time. Um, and that at some point or another, somebody broke some sort of rule and performed some sort of deed which introduced free will. Because prior to the city, there wasn't free will. The devils are in a similar boat as humans. Uh, the reason why they wind up wanting souls is because they're trying to build their own world. Uh, early on in the game, like once like uh, things start getting hairy in a way that's unrelated to the fire, um, they see the ships of the devils flee through the Umbra. Um, so like the reason why they do that is because they're still running from the city. Uh, the reason why like there's like that distant light in the sky that people get obsessed with is because that is the city drawing closer in terms of conception in terms of conception and the end of the setting or the end of the campaign like leaves with them like having gone to the foothills just outside of the city uh brokering some sort of peace uh between them and the devils or making some sort of deal again it's been months um sure uh and unfortunately like that all of that stuff like i didn't write out like that was just me like trying to like tell the story that i had in my head uh before everything wrapped up um, which was a good bit of fiction, actually. Like they, like, like, like that part was really, really well received. Um, uh, but the thing about the city is that it doesn't like really exist in a place; it exists conceptually. So, uh, they wind up leaving this entire thing, knowing that the entire world that they live in is in a state of delinquency. 
it's only possible because somebody at some point stole something uh, from the city and that like by like the sort of like constant universal law, they don't have a right to be what they are and they can't tell anyone about it. But because there's, if they, but there's no indication of what that thing is. It's not actually a tangible thing. No, uh, no, uh, it's actually, I've got, uh, that's actually like in one of the Nefondus's letters. Um, Cause it seems uh, like that would be, a relevant component to the mystery, unless the setting is supposed to exist beyond the immediate mystery you're referring to. Uh, yeah, I kind of. So, uh, like the way the, the Nefondus uh, puts it, um, yes, the matter of who broke the agreement or how they broke it has been a mystery. Uh, it's been an area of avid, if idle, speculation among the old masters since the question of the debt has been known. If things go well in Chicago, it may never be known. Good riddance, I say. The crime cannot be undone. The law must be enforced. Leave it to the justice as coming to light. Uh, leave the justice as coming to light to those embroiling themselves in a war of illusion. It is their covetousness of the truth that demands it recount itself. The law does not ask a recounting. It does not beg of truth. But if we are to discuss this past figure, I would urge you to reconsider naming him or her Prometheus. It is a vainglorious name for a vainglorious story, and it belies a, an ahistorical, or rather overly historical, notion of the events that took place in the city. The constitutional and democratic models of time will do you no good here. You'd be well to abandon the notions when thinking on the city and the time uh, and the time before and after. Even referring to the pact as having been made is inaccurate, but necessary shorthand. Oh, where is it? Why oh, there did, we go. Why did you feel the need to turn this into an interactive experience? Yeah, uh, put that at the end. Uh, at it's a lot more accurate. Uh, maybe put it at the beginning, actually. That would... Great. It's, it's, nice to, it's nice to see that, like, my, like, uh, like, sort of, like, compulsive relationship with this uh, uh, story has uh, created more work for somebody else. Yeah, well, and like, you know, like, it's not just one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's like, it's like, it's three people. One of the people is mute, and they cannot tell you uh, what they understand and what they don't understand, right? <laughs> like, that's the, that's the, that's the trick with, the, with this uh, podcasting thing. One of the things that makes me really uncomfortable uh, is that I, I don't get any feedback from the audience in such a way that I can, like, sort of like alter what I'm saying to give them a better idea of like what's going on and what I'm getting at. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is why two uh, which is why one on one is difficult as you were saying. That makes sense. Uh okay, so I guess I'm going to stop this recording as well and uh send this to you. Uh all right, cool. Um, let's hope that I don't say anything else important.